Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 97, French and Indians. The Seven Years' War was, in many respects, the First World War, and so we're going to need to dart around the globe quite a bit during this series of episodes. Last time out, we covered the stately quadrille as the various alliances in Europe shifted, and I hope that provides some context as we get into the nitty-gritty of it. While the Seven Years' War included events in Europe and the Indian subcontinent, and we will cover those, our focus has to be in North America. This is a history of the United States, after all. And in North America, the Seven Years' War is often known as the French and Indian War. Today we begin to get into that, as the balance of power between the Iroquois Confederacy and the British and French colonial empires completely collapsed in the 1750s. The balance of power had its origins in the 17th century. The Iroquois had been a dominant power in New England for centuries before the Europeans arrived, and they were an early trading partner of the Dutch, who had no issue with supplying the Five Nations with firearms. This made them the biggest threat to the early European settlers. As the English colonies sprang up on the Atlantic seaboard, and New France appeared on the St. Lawrence, the Iroquois were faced with great internal problems. Not only were there issues such as alcohol and disease that the Europeans brought, but Jesuit missionaries divided the tribes. They soon began to splinter, as each tribe developed a Francophile, an Anglophile, and a Neutralist wing. These groups argued amongst themselves, and amongst the whole Iroquois Confederacy, until by the turn of the 18th century they managed to reach a compromise. It was decided that the best way they could preserve themselves was to remain neutral and to play the French and English off each other. They were neutral, but they shouldn't be mistaken for pacifism. They used their position to exert great influence and used it to pursue three goals. These were cooperation with the governments of Pennsylvania to control the tribes to their imminent south, hostility towards those in the far south, such as the Cherokee of South Carolina, and to establish peace with the French allied Algonquins in the upper Mississippi Valley. This has been called by some aggressive neutrality. As plans go, it was very effective. It enhanced the reputation of the Iroquois among the English, French, and other Indian tribes. Significantly, it effectively gave the Iroquois dominance over the Ohio Valley, which you'll recall we talked about in the 18th century Virginia episodes. When all this happened around the year 1700, neither the French nor British had access to the Ohio River but it would become of great importance to both as the century progressed. The French needed access to the Ohio. By the 1710s, there were three blocks of French colonies in mainland North America. In the north was New France, centred on the St. Lawrence, but there was also Illinois, 
a colony that had been established on the upper Mississippi for trade, farming, and eventually lead mining, and a colony at the mouth of the Mississippi, Louisiana, centred on La Nouvelle Orléans, or, when you lose the French pronunciation, New Orleans. The French had been aware of the Ohio as a useful link between New France and Illinois for some time, but it was Louisiana that was the missing piece of the puzzle. If the Ohio could be controlled, then the French would create an arc of territory sweeping across the whole continent, leaving the British trapped on the coast. The French could then expand westward to the rest of the continent, and the British would have to waste an extreme amount of resources to stop this from happening, freeing up France to do as she pleased in Europe. The French needed to control the Ohio Valley, and couldn't allow the English to have it. The English dreaded the idea that the French would control the Ohio Valley. The population of the British colonies was rapidly increasing, and either population density would increase, or new land would need to be taken. If the population density of the Atlantic coast increased, the colonies could develop into a rival to the mother country. There was also no desire among the British to have to pay military expenses for a standing army on the North American continent, which would be necessary to protect against the French. The obvious solution for the British would be to start colonising the Ohio Valley before the French could, but there was an issue with this. While you and I know that the French Empire was about to completely and catastrophically collapse during the Seven Years' War, this was not known at the time. The French Empire was the most powerful nation on Earth. France had the resources to potentially colonise the Ohio. Britain did not. Therefore, Britain needed a stopgap, someone who could hold territory while it strengthened its position in the region. The solution? The Iroquois. The Iroquois claimed the Ohio Valley by right of conquest, and the British were very happy to support them as it kept the French out. The French would have preferred to have it themselves, but Iroquois control was far better than English control. This is how things played out for the first half of the 18th century. Both the English and the French constantly vied for support from the Iroquois, who never picked a side, but was more than happy to lead both sides along, shifting its weight from one foot to the other, this time facing the English, this time the French. It worked brilliantly for 50 years, but it was a very delicate system and was about to come crashing down. A significant moment in the shift was the infamous Walking Purchase, by which the Penn family of Pennsylvania bought two-thirds of a million acres of East Pennsylvania from the Delawares, a tribe that had lived in the area for centuries. Indeed, the name of the valley still keeps their name. This deal was a farce, indeed, a fraud. It was based on a supposedly unearthed document from the previous century which the Penn family claimed the tribe had agreed to. I won't go into the details, but it was a spectacularly unfair agreement. The Delawares were concerned by this, and insisted on taking the matter 
to the Six Nations, as the Iroquois were known, after the admittance of the Tuscaroras to the Great League in 1742. The Iroquois knew the deal was unfair. Indeed, everyone at the time knew how horrible this deal was, but they felt it would be in their best interests to say it was fair and confirm the deal. It gained them political points from Pennsylvania, effectively meant that they had to confirm all land purchases for Indian tribes, and allowed them to settle the dislocated Delaware tribe in the Ohio Valley and beyond. Some settled in the Wyoming Valley. So far removed from Pennsylvania, they were unable to do anything against the Penn family, but they felt a deep sense of grievance against the Iroquois. And as the numbers of refugees in the Ohio Valley increased, Iroquois influence diminished. What followed this was the 1744 Treaty of Lancaster between the Iroquois and the colonies of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. At the time, this treaty was viewed as further evidence of the power of the Iroquois. The Iroquois received gifts, including 300 pounds of gold, and acceptance of Iroquois hegemony over some of the southern tribes, whom the Iroquois could speak on behalf of, and the Virginians granted the Iroquois permission to move through Virginian land to attack the Cherokees, as well as confirming they would supply the Iroquois warriors while they were on Virginian land. Iroquois power seemed to be expanding even further. What they gave up was its claim to land within the boundaries of Virginia and Maryland. Now, there was misunderstanding over what this meant. The Iroquois believed they were renouncing a claim to the Senadoa Valley. However, the British colonies neglected to mention they were referring to the original charter of Virginia. You know, the one that claimed land all the way to the Pacific coast. What this meant was that the British could claim that the Iroquois had renounced their claims to the Ohio Valley. By early 1745, the Virginians were already granting the land in the Ohio Valley to rich speculators, calling themselves the Ohio Company of Virginia, who started to press these claims. The North American imperial system was shattered. The illusion of Iroquois control of the Ohio Valley had been broken. There was unrest among the tribes living there, and the English colonies suddenly felt in a position to press their claims, in a way they hadn't half a century previously. This, of course, led to a response from the French colonists, who could not allow the English to have control of the Ohio. It was crucial as their link between New France and Illinois. At the time, Britain was at war with France in the War of the Austrian Succession, which we talked about last time. In North America, this was known as King George's War. The war was popular among some colonies, particularly in New England, but not so much in New York, who had an assembly dominated by merchants, who felt that war got in the way of trade. George Clinton, the governor of New York, was eager to attack New France, 
but the assembly would consent to little beyond the construction of a couple of forts in the north. At this juncture, Iroquois neutrality cracked. As I've mentioned a couple of times, the Iroquois was a confederacy of six separate tribes, or nations. These were the Mohawk, the Onidida, the Onodonga, the Cayuga, the Seneca, and the Tuscarora. The Mohawks were the easternmost tribe and the most Anglophile, and in 1746 they broke with neutrality and decided to work directly with New York, invading New France on behalf of the colony. The Mohawks invaded Canada several times, and as their losses mounted, they became increasingly annoyed with the New Yorkers, whose merchants continued to trade with Montreal. The War of the Austrian Succession closed in 1748 with the Treaty of Aix-la-Chapelle, and no territory in North America changed hands. The only real effect had been on the Iroquois. The power of the Mohawks had been decimated. The ability of the Iroquois Confederacy to collectively make policy decisions was over. Iroquois neutrality was weakened, and the British colonies felt more confident to push into the Ohio Valley. To say that land speculation in the Ohio Valley erupted would be an understatement. The war had closed the St. Lawrence to French ships, and so, while the war was closing down, Pennsylvania merchants were in a position to dominate trade over their French competition. This was disastrous for the French, who had created a position of dominance in the upper Mississippi area by being the sole source of trade, and as a result, were able to provide gifts. The French on the ground realised that in order to maintain their position, they needed control of the Ohio Valley. However, they weren't able to do much. The French governor vacillated indecisively between various plans, before dying, without taking concrete action. The French could do nothing until a new governor-general, Ange de Quesne de Meneville, Marquis de de Quesne, arrived in 1752, while the French continued to advance into the Ohio Valley. Forts and storehouses were being built by the Ohio Company as a base to begin selling the land to farmers, while Pennsylvania merchants continued to flood in. The English sought to control the waterways of the valley, while the tribes in the valley, like the Delawares, knew that this was a disaster. They would never consent to English forts at such key location as the place where the Allegheny and Monongahela rivers met. However, as we've seen during this episode, the English wouldn't deal with the individual tribes, they would deal with the Iroquois, whom it had been agreed had the power to negotiate on behalf of the tribes. The person chosen as the Iroquois spokesman was Tanagrisson, known to the British as the Half-King. Tanagrisson cared less about the thoughts of the individual tribes in the Ohio than he did about his own position, and a number of English bribes, wait, no, not bribes, gifts, definitely 
and gifts. No one is bribing anyone. So, a number of English gifts were given to Tanagrisson to support his own shaky position with the people he was meaning to be leading, and he consented to English construction of the forts, though he made clear that he didn't have the final say. The Grand Council would have to approve the decision, but in the end this didn't matter. The Delawares were already unhappy with the Iroquois for placing them in the valley in the first place, and now they were allowing the English to construct forts which would give them complete control of the region. It couldn't be allowed. So, the Delawares and the other tribes broke free of Iroquois control. Iroquois suzerainty of the Ohio had been an illusion, but it was an illusion that had kept the peace. Now it was finally shattered. This key moment in the build-up to the French and Indian War is where I want to leave things for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.